The registry website is uh, the Indiana Sex and Violent Offender Registry. Okay. And you can go onto that website and search for any offender by name. It'll tell you where they live. This past week, Heather and I sat down to talk with her longtime friend, Detective Michael Smotherman. Mike walked us through everything a person would need to know about the Violent Predator and Sex Offender Registry. Listen in to hear information that you will surely want to know. Welcome to the Fortify Podcast. Here, four moms with 38 kids combined and over 120 years of homeschooling experience combined share resources and life stories that have fortified them and will hopefully fortify you as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fortify Podcast. Today, Heather and I are here at the Allen County Sheriff's Department talking with Detective Michael Smotherman. Lately, there's been a great deal of discussion about sex trafficking, and we are hoping to do a podcast on that in the future. However, today we're focused specifically on the Sex Offenders Registry, which is what Mike heads up. So, Mike, thanks for sitting down and talking with us today. Well, thanks, Ann. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak. All right. Well, let's just get right to it. Could you tell the listeners specifically about the sex registry program, starting with what is it, when it was created, and why it was created? Well, the sex offender registry was uh, invented or created uh, in Indiana's law in 1994, and it was created for the purpose of notifying the public uh, when a registered sex offender moved into their area. It was a, basically the, the answer there is public notification. That was the intent behind the whole original law. And then, okay, so how long have you been with the program? Started in this unit in February of 2009, so, okay, so. into my 12th year. But I also, before we had a sex offender registry division in the sheriff's department, my partner and I were actually doing the same work uh, as partners in the warrants division for a couple of years prior to that. And then uh, we were able to convince the sheriff at that time that we needed to have a specific division devoted to this. Okay. And so how did you, why did you feel that that needed to happen? What were you seeing that you were just like, wow, we need a division here? Well, funny story, side story, I guess. We were, uh, we were working as partners in the warrants division, and we had a warrant. Uh, if I recall, it was a, a parole violation warrant for uh, a guy who was on parole for child molesting. And we couldn't find him. We were looking for him on this warrant, and uh, we got to talking about it, and we thought, hey, isn't there, didn't we just hear something not too long ago about a law about sex offenders have to provide their address? So we got to looking into it, and eventually we found the statutes uh, that covered it and then eventually found this person and charged him with a new offense of failing to register uh, because he had not provided where he was living, and uh, it it flew in court. And then we we started looking around, and there were dozens and dozens more, uh, and no no one was tracking it. The... There was a law mandating that the sheriffs monitor sex offenders, and you know th- there was no mechanism in place for us to do that. So that's uh, we went to the sheriff and said, "Hey, we really need to be doing this." Can wow, 
can we create a division? And it ended up getting done. Uh, I ended up joining the division. And it was probably two years. Yeah, probably two years after it was created. So that's that's where it all began, really. Okay. Uh, that division was created here in 2006 okay. for, for the Sheriff's Department here in Allen County. Okay. Well, it's good that when something's mandated, somebody's watching over it. So what what's the process of somebody getting on this register? What What kind of offenses are we talking about? Like, what is the type of crime or offense that someone's charged with that gets them on? The registry law has... Uh, a list of offenses. Uh, there are 21 or 22. Let me just pull out a reference here. 22. 20 of them are sex offenses. Uh, and they range, I, I guess, a, not a complete list, but crimes like rape, uh, child molesting, child exploitation, sexual misconduct with a minor, and so on, possession of child pornography, child trafficking, criminal confinement, and kidnapping, to name several, but not complete. Uh, and then the other two are violent offenses that were added to law later, and those include uh, murder and voluntary manslaughter. So it's, it's technically the correct term is the Indiana Sex and Violent Offender Registry. Okay, so is this dependent upon somebody coming and saying this person did this to me i mean I, I imagine there's all kinds of different scenarios like how do you find out somebody's into child pornography versus well there there are there are a lot of ways and and i guess that's the second part of the answer to your previous question okay. how does a person how does the whole process happen a person has to commit a a, uh, a listed sex offense be prosecuted and actually be convicted of that sex offense. If it's on this list, once they are released uh, from incarceration or placed on probation or parole, after their conviction for that sex offense, they are required to register then pursuant to the rest of the statute, which dictates how long they have to register and how often. Okay, so... Is it difficult to prosecute somebody? Are these are the cases pretty easy to convict? Or again, is that's that really not my part of it? Okay. I mean, I have worked as a general crimes detective in the okay. past. Uh, that's more of a question. That's not what I do okay. nowadays, right. and that's probably a better question for the prosecutor. I think okay. every individual case has its uh, merits and challenges, and as far as whether it's easy to get a conviction or not, uh, you know, that's case by case. All right. And um, what determines how, well, obviously the, the crime would determine how long the conviction is, but can you generally say how long, you know, what kind of the average rate that somebody's, the average length of time that somebody's on the registry? Well, most of the offenders that are on the registry now are going to be on it for life. If you're convicted of a sex offense where, uh, this is really complex, and the, the statute, there's a lot of uh, complexity to it. Um, ultimately, if you're convicted of certain crimes, you're automatically required to register for life and classified as a sexually violent predator. There are 
three classification levels and some offenders register for life others would have to register for 10 years and then yet others if they were convicted of a sex crime outside of Indiana uh, and then moved to Indiana, Indiana will honor the registration period of the other states. So, for example, Indiana has 10 years and lifetime as their registration requirements, but Michigan has 15, 25, and life. So a person convicted in Michigan who then moves to Indiana, we're going to honor it if they have a 25-year requirement from the state that they are coming to us from. I know that's a lot of information. I hope that makes sense. Oh, yeah, it, it makes sense. So are, are you seeing an increase, like in our, in our listening area, so, you know, Fort Wayne, Auburn, you know, Allen, DeKalb, surrounding counties, are you guys seeing an increase, a decrease? I can give I, you statistics on Allen County. Um, yeah. We have just over 500 registered offenders here in Allen County today. There are, those numbers are increasing. You have to understand that there's a lot of people, rather there are a lot of people, uh, correct my grammar here, uh, in prison in Indiana right now for sex offenses who aren't required to register yet. They have not been released from incarceration and therefore their registration time doesn't start until they get out of prison okay there are people on the registry now who violate their probation or parole for example and then go back into custody so we may have people that are out and registering that return to prison because they violated the terms of their early release and then at the same time we're having people being released for prison released from prison and registering for the first time and there's a there's a back and forth a a yo-yo effect if you will Uh, we are averaging just over 500 right now and a couple of years ago we were uh, just under 400 so the numbers have increased the uh, the law change in 2015 made it so any conviction for child molesting is automatic lifetime, automatic classified as a predator, even if it was not for full intercourse with a child, but just fondling. Those people are now required to register for life. Uh, So more people are getting on the registry and fewer people are getting off because there's not as many of them that just have to register for 10 years. So the numbers are going to continue to climb, and there's no way around it because that's what the law says we have to do. So do you have a large number of people who do not register when they are done being incarcerated? Is that something that's easy to track? There is a system of checks and balances. Uh, The Indiana Department of Correction does a a fantastic job uh, of getting them registered. It's it's kind of a pre-registration, if you will, and they, they do a fabulous job in conjunction with our software that we all use, it's a statewide software okay. uh, that notifies the county that's gonna be receiving that offender when they're okay. released from incarceration. Uh, they will uh, collect the basic data to get an offender record started in that right. software. And then the gaining county is notified uh, prior to their release. We know the release date and uh, if the person doesn't register, then we charge them with a crime. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the system that exists today is far and away better than it used to be. Right. Uh, and, and the whole 
state of Indiana is involved in it, from the Department of Correction to all 92 counties, Sheriff's Department, Sex Offender Registry Divisions. We all work together. Okay. Uh, we share information back and forth. And, uh, you know, to, to add something to your question, the uh, once a person gets released from prison and comes to the county that they originally go to, it could be, you know, six months or a year or two later, they decide they want to move to a different county. Right. So, you know, each county is... is contacting other counties and we're sharing information hey you've got an offender coming uh it's leaving our jurisdiction and coming to yours so that no one falls through the cracks is the goal right that's what i was wondering like if because if you are a sex offender and you live you know in new haven and then you decide a couple years later you're going to move to fort wayne you know i didn't know how easy that was to track that that they're selling their house and they're moving right well and this this uh registry law is 20 22 chapters or more long and it describes everything that they're required to do that we're required to do how they're classified which offenses require registration uh, and so on so they have requirements uh, if they're going to move they're required to notify us within a certain period of time uh, of their move and if they don't they commit a crime Right. And you're hoping they're rule followers because previously they weren't rule followers. Correct. (laughs) You know, that they will do that. But yeah, it's been very helpful for my uh, kids who have all bought homes. They popped on that website and looked to see what was in their area. I mean, it's very important to them as they're growing families. So that would answer my question as to obviously, okay, so if you're in DeKalb County or any of the other counties, there's, I mean, you're here in Allen County, but there's, uh, they can pop on the site anywhere. We'll link this in the the podcast notes, but I'm assuming. Right. As far as the registry website is uh, the Indiana Sex and Violent Offender Registry. And you can go onto that website and search for any offender by name. It'll tell you where they live. If it's Vigo County, Allen County, DeKalb County, there are... uh, the counties are listed out and you can click on a county uh, by name and review all of its offenders uh, you can search by addresses it's it, there's a lot of neat search tools on there okay so well tell us about that tool then so you just can just put in an address or just how does it all work well the the basic gist is and i i guess i would like to pitch this the software that we use uh, does a really cool thing and it's the email notifications they're free to the public and all you've got to do is go onto the website and uh, click on the uh, I believe it's a a yield sign a red yield sign looking thing at the top uh, and it's receive email notifications and it asks you for the address that you want the software to watch and your email address and you pick a radius, I think it lets you pick a, a, a radius, whether you want a quarter mile, half mile, full mile. Um, and then anytime an offender that's on the registry moves into that radius, you'll get an automatic email 24 or within 24 hours alerting you to the fact that a new sex offender has moved into your area. Oh my. Did you and it's free. Did you know that existed? Oh, that's that's very helpful information. Yeah, it's free. I encourage everyone to sign up for it. All you've got to do is uh, give the address that you want the, the computer to watch, uh, the radius that you want it to watch, and the email address that you want the alert sent to. That's That will definitely be linked to the to the website. Is there Are there any other things that, you know, you think the listeners would want to know or that you'd like to say about the program? Well... 
I could talk for hours. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm here to answer your questions. Okay. If the more information that people have, the, the the more the better equipped they are to make make decisions, and you know, it's just helpful to know what's going on in the community. Well, I, I guess I would say that uh, as far as what we do, obviously the offenders are required to come into the. Uh, to our office and complete their registrations and then they have to update us within 72 hours of any change to any of their information so if they buy a car sell a car start a job quit a job move they wait they have to let you know if they buy a car yes there's uh, the statute uh, is just chock full of things again all the requirements that they've got to the information that they have to provide when they register how often they have to register how long they have to register these kinds of things. So uh, there's a, a list of required information. It's uh, all the physical identifiers, you know, name, date of birth, social, address, all their social media accounts, email addresses, what they drive, where they work, where they go to college, where they live. And if any of that information changes, it's either gained or lost. They're, have, they're, they're required to come in person to my office and report that. Okay, and is that requirement for life? It exists for the period of time that they have to register for. So for some of them, yes, it is for life. And like I started to say, if they buy a car, if they sell a car, if they start a job, if they quit a job, if they create a new email address, if they create a Facebook account, uh, if they move from you know, 123 Main Street, apartment 6, to 123 Main Street, apartment 9, that's an address change. They have to come to my office in person and report it within 72 hours. If they don't, they commit a crime. And then they could be arrested again for failure to report? Failure to register. The, the statute, keep in mind that the statute has that level of complexity for the purpose of public notification. Now, whether you agree with registries or not, you know, that's what the law says. That's the current Indiana law. And, uh, you know, I'm here to enforce that law. So I have read, you know, through my parenting years, lots of things on sex offenders and as it pertains to children. And I have read that typically if you have someone who is in that lifestyle and they're convicted of a crime, that you should really never trust them with a child again for the rest of their life because that's, you know, within them. So, so I, I'm in favor of for life. What benefit is, though, there to knowing when they buy a new car? Like, how does that beneficial? Well, to answer that would be guesswork on my part because I didn't write the current law. Right. It's just included in the law. Okay. So um, I can tell you that it's beneficial for law enforcement. Well, that's true because if... If, if yeah. it, at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, it's the same thing with uh, a lot of information that's available to police officers. You right. know, if they stop your car. Right. Uh, or stop a car right. at, at uh, whenever, but yes. let's use 3 a.m. Right. Uh, before the officer ever gets out of the car, he knows who he's dealing with. Right. Okay. He knows if they have a, a, a registered uh, or a gun permit. Mm -hmm. He knows if he has a registered sex offender. Right. Um, yeah. I see the logic now. Yeah. If you're an officer so, who needs to pull someone over, yes. Right. Or to know so, what they drive. Exactly. They violated parole and you want to know what they drive because you're looking for them. If you know you're looking for a blue car a certain year, that makes a lot well, of sense. Yes, that. But, you know, also 
look at it from the aspect of officer safety. Right. Okay. An officer sees a car speeding. He stops the car, runs the license plate, and it comes back that he's a registered sex offender. That right. officer knows, okay, I'm dealing with a convicted felon. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's an officer safety thing. Mm-hmm. For sure, and then you know if there was other intent that the legislators had in mind when they when they made that a law, right? I, I'm not privy to that. But. Right? Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense now. Do you ever have cases? So, say you have an 18 or 19 year old boy, and he's got a girlfriend who's 15, and I mean, if she wanted to, you know, say they break up or something, could she come back and say? you know, this happened and, you know, how do you kind of avoid those situations where... Well, that's on the prosecution end. Okay. 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 That's before they ever get to me. Okay. Um, But I can tell you that the, what the crime that you just described would be uh, sexual misconduct with a minor. And uh, there are mechanisms in that statute that allow the courts to not make a person register if it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, and if there's so not there's some a, leeway a there. huge age uh, difference. Okay. Typically, the people that we have on the sex offender registry for that crime, sexual misconduct, is uh, a, a, a much greater age difference. Well, that would make it, sense. It's not the boyfriend, girlfriend, Romeo, Juliet kind of a thing. Okay. All right. And so to the, back to the original question, when somebody gets pulled up and their record is seen, do, do you see if it's just, you know, whether it's for, like what you said, a homicide or a rape, or was it, you know, a, some lesser offense, or is it just the, this person's... I, I'm not going to answer that. Okay. I don't want to violate any of the, the okay. IDACs or NCIC rules okay. here, but the officer, we are required to enter a record in the national crime database okay. that this is a, uh, a vehicle that this offender uses or owns. Uh, and if it's ever stopped, I, all I can tell you is that that officer is then notified that okay. they're dealing with what they're dealing with. All right. Well, obviously the greatest resource is the one that you talked about where you can get these email notifications um, having yeah. come right to you so you can see what's going on. And yeah. um, I would, uh, one caution on that though, for your listeners and the, uh, there are some check boxes to be careful of. You can include or exclude work addresses or college addresses. I would recommend the home address only. You can track individual offenders. You know, I mean, if, if you, or if a person happens to be uh, the victim of a crime and then the the perpetrator is you know however long later released from incarceration and is then on the registry uh, that victim can track the offender on the registry um, and they'll get notifications anytime there's a change so for example uh, the victim years later after the crime works downtown and she gets an email notification because she's decided to track the offender that, that victimized her. She gets a notification that he works at the downtown McDonald's. She now knows if I don't want to have to confront this guy face to face or accidentally bump into him, at least I know where he works. I know I'm not going to go to that McDonald's. Oh, that would be very helpful. So, you know, that's one example of how that can be useful. Uh, what was the rest of the question? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I <laughs> 
Um, yeah, oh, I'm not sure either. I, I was I was cautioning about checking those boxes. Uh, mm-hmm. I would recommend, unless you have a real reason to uh, to get a ton of emails telling you where people work, uh, I would I would stick to just the home addresses to start with, and you can always go back in and change it. So you could, if say your daughter is going off to school somewhere, you could put, can you like just generally put in something that says, are there sex offenders at this school? Or I I don't know how you'd quite do that. You have to play with it a little bit. There's, uh, there are things that you can do. You can watch more than one address, but uh, something that's useful is, uh, let's say your kids, uh, you put your kids in well, let's not even say a daycare. Let's say you have your Uncle Jimmy uh, watching your kids while you go to work. You can put Uncle Jimmy's address in there and see how many offenders are in Uncle Jimmy's area, as well as your own home address. You can watch more than one address. Okay, so then my thought was work. So let's say you work at a location. You can put that location, and will it show people who are sex offenders who you work with? If you know where they, well. Will it show people who work there that are sex offenders? If you, put where if you, you search that address. Okay. I mean, yes, there are ways you can get it to. So if you're a business and, I mean, you work at a business and you put that business address in, is it going to say if there's other people who work there or that are at that address? Or yes, sex if you include the work addresses. Okay. And it'll show you as, as a checkbox, around you click there work addresses. Okay. as well. Okay. Now, see, we're talking about two different searches when you say it that way. You can search by address right. and search by name. Right. And get a list of results. Right. That's totally separate from the email alerts. Right. But if you put email alert with your work address in it, will you get alerts if people have that if down as their work address and their sex, sex offenders? You'll get an original alert that tells you a complete list of people who are in that area right now. Okay. And then you'll get alerted anytime anyone moves in. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you've included, I, I think you, unless they've changed things, I think you can include the work addresses. Okay. Um, I, I signed up years and years ago okay. for myself, and I've not had to do that in a while. Yes. Okay. That's all really good information to know. I had no idea all this stuff was available to the public. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners knew that, but um, I'm, I'm really glad to know that that is there, that that you know, gives information that would yeah. be very helpful. I, I apologize for being kind of vague about the public website and what specifics it will do i'm i'm more on the other side of it right you know the enforcement side and getting the data entered into the computer so that you can see it publicly yeah all right well i think you've done a really good job of just giving the listeners an overview um giving them the information of where to go what to find out and then if they have any questions can they contact you can or yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, anybody that has questions can, I, I would recommend going to the Sheriff's Department's website first, allencountysheriff.org. Okay. And uh, going on to the sex offender tab and do some reading there on that tab. And if you are confused about anything after that, definitely give me a call. I'll, I'll try and uh, help any way I can. All right. Well, I just really appreciate the time that you've taken to spend with us. We've kept it to our 30-minute mark, which is what we're trying to to do. So um, we just hope everybody got some really good information here that you would find helpful. So thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Heather. Thank you very much. Well, after we recorded this podcast, I went home and put in our address to do a search. 
Oh my, was I surprised at what I found. I would encourage you to check as well. It is important to use this information to be discerning for the safety of your family, all the while trying to balance that with a level of cautious grace to those who may be trying to get their lives back together. Please consider passing this information along to those you think might find it helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for helpful links to information discussed in today's episode. Until next time, may you be a fortifier to the world around you. Thank you.